Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's August 4th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from Taylor Swift adding Toronto dates to the SIBO repayments from small businesses to a Wednesday bike ride with Toronto cruisers. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. Edith Dumont has been appointed as Ontario's lieutenant governor. The Prime Minister's office said she will be the first Franco-Ontarian lieutenant governor in the province's history. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said in a statement from yesterday, Ms. Dumont is an educator and an accomplished community advocate. She has dedicated her career to supporting Francophone communities in Ontario, Canada and around the world. She will replace Elizabeth Dowdswell, who had been the province's lieutenant governor since 2014. Dowdswell congratulated Dumont in a tweet on Thursday. Felicitations and all best wishes to Miss Edith Dumont on the news of her selection as Ontario's 30th lieutenant governor. She added, It is such a privilege to play a role in our democracy and most of all to represent the amazing citizens of this province. The date for Dumont's formal installation has not yet been announced, CTV reports. Lieutenant governors are representatives for the king and perform actions for the crown, like granting royal assent to laws in their provinces. Dumont will serve a non-fixed term of at least five years. CTV reports Dumont worked as a special education teacher, school principal, and executive. She was also the first female to lead the Eastern School Board entitled Conseil d'École Publique de l'Est de l'Ontario. More recently, she served as Vice President of Partnerships, Communities and International Relations at the Université de l'Ontario Française in Toronto. Union leaders will be restarting negotiations with representatives for studios again. They told Hollywood writers that there was a first official communication between the two sides since the strike began three months ago. CP24 reports the Writers Guild of America said in an email to members that the head of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers requested a meeting on Friday to discuss the recommencement of contract talks. They wrote, We'll be back in communication with you sometime after the meeting with further information. As we've said before, be wary of rumors. Whenever there is important news to share, you will hear it directly from us. Hollywood actors who have been on strike since July 14th have not had the same luck. SAG AFTRA Executive Director Duncan Crabtree Ireland told the Associated Press on Tuesday, I had hoped that we would already have had some kind of conversations with the industry by now. But the Alliance Motion Picture and Television Producers has not requested a meeting with them yet. They said, we remain committed to finding a path to mutually beneficial deals with both unions. The first two strikes by screenwriters from their employers began May 2nd. They are asking for pay rates that match inflation, the use of smaller writing staff for shorter seasons of TV shows, and control over AI in the screenwriting process. A couple from Mississauga has reported their rare Ferrari was stolen from their apartment building's parking garage last week. The couple say the 2017 Ferrari GTB 488 Carbon was stolen while they were away on vacation. The car has an estimated value of $480,000, and only 10 models were ever made. 
CTV reports on the morning of July 23rd, surveillance footage shows what appears to be an Alfa Romeo entering the open garage. The owner's wife, Trish, told CTV, for some reason the gate was wide open and they drove right in. Normally, security has to call up to the resident and say, are you expecting a visitor? We never got a phone call. Moments later, Trish said the driver and its two occupants locate the Ferrari. The two occupants of the Alfa Romeo then disarm the alarm system and start the car in as little as four minutes. Trish told CTV she believes the alleged thieves gained access to the vehicle by way of Universal Remote. She said, It was so quick the way it happened. It was almost like they knew exactly where to go. Like, had they been watching my husband drive the car and pull it up into the parking lot? Trish and her husband returned from their trip on July 31st and reported the theft the following day. Peel Regional Police confirmed they are investigating the incident. Trish said the car has features like a custom Italian flag from the back wheel to the front wheel on both sides, a black top, and a custom license plate that reads Mr. Wealth. She said, it's not really about the car itself, it's just that we can't go out and get another one. And my husband looked for this car for five years and finally found it and will never get it again. Taylor Swift has announced that she will be bringing the Eras Tour to Canada. The six states added will see Taylor Swift performing at the Rogers Center on November 14th to the 16th and 21st to the 23rd of 2024. Rogers said in a press release that she will be the first musician to ever play that many shows in a row at the stadium. Swift announced the dates in an Instagram post for which the caption read, Turns out it's not the end of an era. Miami, New Orleans, Indy, and Toronto. The Eras Tour is coming to you in 2024 with at Gracie Abrams. Previously, Swift released a schedule of 50 stops across North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, but left Canada out. Fans worked tirelessly to try to convince her to come up north, CBC News reports. The movement reached as far as the government. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said in a tweet, It's me. Hi. I know places in Canada would love to have you, so don't make it another cruel summer. We hope to see you soon. And Edmonton MP Matt Genereux said he would file a grievance, quote, on behalf of all Swifties. Swift last performed in Canada for her 2018 Reputation Stadium Tour, hosting two shows at Rogers Centre. Adding cities after the initial release is common for Swift. She included Edmonton nearly four months after her Red Tour's initial shows were announced, reports CBC. But even with the addition, it will be difficult to get tickets. When the Eras Tour's Ticketmaster presale opened in November of 2022, fans reported a lot of difficulty. The bots, combined with a huge number of fans, quickly led the site to crashing and caused multiple people to lose their spot in line, CBC reports. This led to heated questions in a U.S. Senate hearing with Ticketmaster's parent company, Live Nation Entertainment. Live Nation's president and CFO, Joe Birch, told, said in the hearing, We apologize to the fans. We apologize to Miss Swift. We need to do better, and we will do better. Tickets will go on sale August 9th. Adidas has brought in more than $400 million from the first release of leftover Yeezy sneakers. 
The company cut ties with Ye, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, in October after he made anti-Semitic and offensive comments. Since then, Adidas has found a way to dispose of 1.2 billion euros worth of the high-end shoes in a responsible way. Part of the proceeds from offloading the leftover shoes will be donated to groups fighting anti-Semitism and other forms of hate, CP24 reports. Adidas said in a statement Thursday that the company reached an operating profit of 176 million euros in the second quarter after the first batch of shoes were sold in June. CEO Bjorn Goulden said, We will continue to carefully sell off more of the existing Yeezy inventory. The second release date for Yeezys was set for the coming Wednesday. Goulden said, This is much better than destroying and writing off the inventory and allows us to make substantial donations to organizations like the Anti-Defamation League, the Philonese and Keita Lloyd Institute for Social Change, and Robert Kraft's Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism. Adidas's chief executive said that the Yeezy sales are, quote, of course, also helping both our cash flow and general financial strength. The company has not announced how many shoes it is selling and whether or not Ye will receive royalties from the sales. But it did say, We will honor our contractual obligations and enforce our rights, but will not share any more details. Meanwhile, some small business owners are struggling to repay their Canada Emergency Business Account loans. The program was instituted during the pandemic in the hopes of keeping afloat small businesses during trying times. The total amount handed out to each business was $60,000. Yet, the government has put in place a deadline of December 31, 2023 to repay. Businesses that do so by the end of the year will have a loan forgiveness of $20,000. Those that cannot will have an interest of 5% applied annually to the already large sum of $60,000. I spoke to Betterway Alliance Director Liliana Camacho about why some businesses are struggling to pay this back. Yeah, it's a problem because many businesses have struggled to bounce back. Um, they're, they're faced now with significant cost increases. Um, the economy has been experiencing a lot of inflation, so costs of inputs have gone up, costs of labor has gone up. Um, and for many businesses, traffic just hasn't come back to where it needs to be. And then they're also, they've also incurred a lot of other costs, sometimes other debt. Like we have a lot of businesses in our network that also took out other debts with their suppliers or friends and family because it was, they just had no money coming in the door. So financially, there just isn't enough cash flow to have saved up a chunk of money to pay it back. It's happened disproportionately to um, women, women business owners, to immigrant-owned businesses, um, to minority-owned businesses, and to very small businesses, and especially those in the food service industry, tourism, um, services, that sort of thing. So businesses just don't have the cash right now. And that, basically, that's the problem. Typically, these business owners are the least resourced to begin with, like when they start out operating, opening and operating their companies. Um, black business owners have a, at least in um, Ontario, have a larger than average amount of debt, for example. 
um, excluding SIBA. So adding on another loan makes it impossible because they have a debt payment. They have to service that debt. Um, women are disproportionately represented in sectors that were really hard hit, like food service, like tourism. Um, and they also have, uh, there's also a larger number of women who, um, had to turn more towards home care, for example. Um, they're basically just tasked, tasked with other duties that is taking them away from operating their business. They don't have the resources, uh, you know, it's just not the same situation as a, ma- a male-owned business or a male-plus-female-owned business. She described what Better Way Alliance and other small business coalitions are asking for from the government. So Better Way Alliance formed a coalition with uh, the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce, as well as the Black Business and Professional Association, the London Chamber of Commerce, and KB Consulting. And we put out um, an open letter, a petition with uh, a specific asset I'll tell you about. There's also been another open letter slash petition that has gone out, um, I believe it was last Monday. Um, That one was led by uh, uh, major industry associations in tourism, hospitality. Uh, They were also joined by the CFIB, which is the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses and chambers of commerce from across Canada. They had more than 250 signatories on that letter. Um, And they asked for different terms, but essentially everybody is asking for at least an extension of the repayment period. Um, I should say of the, the, the date to qualify for loan forgiveness. So everyone is asking for an extension to that. Um, Our group, is also asking for a revision to the interest terms or asking that there be no interest applied to the loans. Um, And we are also asking for the repayment terms to uh, incentivize like a faster payback period. So basically businesses that are able to pay back this year or the next year are able to qualify for say 50% loan forgiveness or 40% loan forgiveness. to if we're extending that repayment deadline, we'd also like to reward businesses who are able to pay back. So that can work, but then we're not taking away the possibility to waive a portion of the loan to too many businesses because we'd be extending the window to qualify for loan forgiveness. The government has acknowledged, like publicly acknowledged, that small businesses uh, were disproportionately impacted during COVID-19. Um, like SIBA was issued specifically to help them. And I think that they are aware of um, our asks and the the other uh, letter that went out. So they know that there are a lot of business owners that are in a difficult position right now. And I think, I think that they know that there is um, a difference in you know, that it impacts women and marginalized business owners differently. And this government has stated a commitment to women and to a diverse, like diversity in our economy. So I'm hopeful that there will be understanding for in in particular, these business owners, but hopefully for all business owners. Um, I, you know, I think that the government is, is very much aware of what's going on. Um, So we'll see. 
the letter with the 250 signatories, um, something interesting about that one is that a, a petition with that many business groups signing is unprecedented, really. Like, it's very unusual. So we think that that's quite a bit of pressure and that's a very strong signal um, to the government that businesses care. Uh, and there were business groups from all across Canada that signed that letter from the provinces and territories. So, uh, you know, there's, it's, I think there's, this is a big concern amongst businesses kind of everywhere in Canada. I spoke to Jules Forever owner and Better Way Alliance member Anita Agrawal about what kinds of difficulties her business has faced. So, I mean, one big chunk that um, small businesses face, especially in Toronto, which you can imagine, is rent, right? So you may or may not be aware, uh, last year we did, um, as the Better Way Alliance, which I'm a member of, I actually helped co-author a report called the Commercial Rent Report. So you may or may not be aware about this, but there is no commercial rent regulation in in Ontario. So um, businesses during the pandemic suffered greatly when it came to rent control. Um, in fact, some businesses even had massive, massive rent increases during the pandemic. And I currently have two locations in downtown Toronto, and my rent alone is over $5,000 a month. So it's about $5,500 a month for both locations together. And that's a substantial portion. Yes, there was three months of um, forgiveness for rent. Uh, it was at a reduced rent, but we didn't qualify in our business because we had 3% more of sales than the cutoff, which was like 3% of nothing because our overall revenue went down 40%. Mm-hmm. So the challenges that we faced and most small business face was just getting past the rent. And the fact is that in-person sales were not happening. And most small businesses, whether they're restaurants, whether they're, you know, in the hospitality industry, whether they're artists, whether they're uh, jewelry manufacturers like myself, they require people to come in person. And if that wasn't happening with these longest restrictions in the world that we had in Canada at about 18 months, you know, on and off, um, it was really hard to recuperate that. So sales obviously dropped significantly. Then you had a lot of supply chain issues, but it, it's been really rocky for us. And the one thing that I want to clarify is that 68% of workers in Canada are actually working at SMEs. So you have to understand these are like small and medium enterprises. They're not large businesses. And I've talked to so many small business owners, um, friends of mine who own businesses, who are solo entrepreneurs, or they have like um, three people that work with them, and they're not. They're like thinking and contemplating: Do we declare bankruptcy? Because sixty thousand dollars for businesses like ours is a, a huge chunk of money. You know, it, it's not the same thing as a large corporation where that doesn't really mean anything for them. And if you notice, the banking sector and food sector um, have actually recorded record profits, right? Uh, that's not the case with small businesses. We haven't been able to raise our prices. We're really struggling and we have day-to-day operations. Plus, our sales are not at that same level as pre-pandemic level. So um, what I want to say is this. So before the pandemic, 
60% of my business was trade shows. So when I say trade shows, trade shows are very costly. The minimum expense that I have per trade show is about $20,000. Okay. Um, when I, when the pandemic hit, I mean, I was totally caught off guard because that 60% of my revenue. So we definitely had to pivot. We definitely did um, have websites that existed before the pandemic, but what we ended up doing was we ended up creating packages for our customers. So basically providing them with photography, providing them with descriptions and saying, Hey, you don't actually have to pay us for the product. You could just list these items on your website. So I ended up doing a lot of groundwork for my clients because we are a B2B business. We're not a B2C. I do have a B2C website too. So if anyone's interested, it's www.jewelsforever.ca and the four is the number four. So jewelsforever.ca. That's my um, B2C website, but primarily on the B2C wholesaler. So that's another thing that we're struggling with right now. I'm like, do I do trade shows where I make my money? Um, do I pay back the SIBO loan or do I invest in creating new products so that the businesses that I sell to have new items come the Christmas season, which is, you know, our big time for selling jewelry. And the other thing that I want to emphasize is just like the end consumer is having difficulty, you know, making decisions. Well, how do I pay for food with the rising cost of food? How do I pay for rent? Rising cost of rent, you know, the last thing that people want to do is go out and buy diamond earrings or diamond rings, you know, and I, that's, that's the business that I'm in selling jewelry. So luxuries are not an option, but consequently all businesses that are small businesses in multitude of sectors and industries are struggling because people are lacking that disposable income. So this is, it's, it's an, it's an issue that affects all of us. And consequently, if, it's hard for businesses to pay back the SIBO loan. That's going to make it difficult for, you know, we're going to have to make hiring and firing decisions as small businesses. And some businesses, their profit margins are razor thin. So paying back the SIBO loan could mean them versus bankruptcy, right? Finally, Toronto Cruisers are continuing to host their Wednesday bike ride this month. Founder of the group, Grant, told me what it's all about. So Toronto Cruisers is, um, I guess at the heart of it, it's, it's a bike ride um, that's kind of dedicated to uh, writing an ongoing love letter to the city of Toronto. There are rides um, that rely heavily on self-expression, which includes things like music, lights, uh, bikes, and, and positive vibes. In a nutshell, that's that's really what we're all about. So the idea um, for Toronto Cruisers really came together in 2013, and so the first rides were actually in 2014, and we've been riding ever since. Uh, we ride from basically May through the end of August. Uh, that's kind of our riding season. We do have bonus rides that are out, out of season, including like our uh, our Nuit Blanche ride, which is pretty awesome really what we do being the toronto cruisers is we don't stick to just one area we don't just do downtown where we meet we we literally go all over the city and what that is is again not just sticking to to the arteries of 
the main arteries of, of the city. It's really going to neighborhoods and learning about our na- the neighborhoods and just interacting with people. There's so many interactions we've had. And so the love letter is, is really showing, A, our riders, all these cool places where people often haven't been. One of the things that we, we find in a really inspires us to keep doing what we do is we don't just stick to main roads or main arteries or strictly just uh you know bike paths we actually go through neighborhoods and we go through neighborhoods you know from the west end of the city to the very east end of the city to the north end of the city it's not just a downtown ride and it's amazing when we're rolling through some of these neighborhoods um you know you might see some kids that are you know, just spending a quiet Wednesday evening getting ready for bed or just kind of winding down. And all of a sudden they'll see us going by and they'll get so excited. And you just hear like through the windows, mom, dad, look, there's there's a parade going by. And, you know, they'll just gather the families we're going by and we'll smile and wave and all that stuff. Um, and the kids just get a kick out of it. Or if we're going through a park, the kids will see us and we're all lit up and they, they just start screaming and hollering and chasing us to the point that sometimes we have to stop and be like, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, hang out with the parents. Like, it's all good. Um, or we're passing by a bar or patio and people just spontaneously start clapping and cheering us on. And so it's not just about the ride. It's really um, the symbiotic relationship of people seeing people have fun. And whenever you see people having, you know, enjoying themselves and spreading a little bit of cheer in the city, it's, it's really infectious. And so it's not just us going out on a ride in, in a selfish way and like, we're going to have fun. No, other people see what we do. They get inspired. They then take that onto their lives or, or you know, share a story on their, their socials. But they, they get an idea of, hey, Wednesday just doesn't have to be this boring day. It could actually be kind of electric and, and kind of fun and inspiring and you know, put a smile on your face and, and hopefully that, that joy and that happiness kind of spreads around um, much, much more than just the ground that we can cover ourselves as a few riders. He described why riding in general and in this context is so important. Benefits of, of riding uh, with a group like ours, kind of the, the social cycling aspect, um, is great because we get a lot of people that really are, are first-time riders um, they're like, hey, I just got a bike. I'm not used to riding on streets. So they'll, they'll come and we'll navigate streets together and roads. And the good thing is it's on a Wednesday evening, so it's a little bit quieter. Um, and it's just a great way to get people feel comfortable doing that and riding properly, um, you know, as adults. The other thing we'll do is we'll even hop on the subway. And often so many riders will be like, hey, I've never taken my bike on the subway. I didn't know we could do this. So there's definitely a learning experience um, and it builds up a lot of self-confidence for a lot of people to go out on, on their own adventures eventually. Um, and beyond that, yeah, I mean, there's a whole just connecting with people on a very human level, um, which is fantastic. The other thing is by the end of the season, all of us are, are stronger riders. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, we, we always laugh because we'll see like a little hill and it just seems insurmountable um, and we'll all kind of sweat through it. But then as the season goes on, we'll see hills and we'll we'll just, just go up them without really thinking about it. 
And not that there's any pressure. We don't care if people walk up a hill, but people do feel that that physical activity is, is beneficial. And, and again, just all the other social benefits in, as, as group rides go is, is, is great in, in so many respects for, for so many people. Grant also explained what the turnout has been like. Sure. So it really depends on the weather and what's going on in the summer. Um, but, you know, on average, you're looking at anywhere from 35 to 50 people. Um, it'll it'll beef up on certain rides. Uh, for instance, last week it was pretty stormy, and we ended up with a few less people, but people still show up, rain or shine. The team meets at Bloor Street West and Huron Street every Wednesday at 8 p.m., rain or shine. You can find Toronto Cruisers at torontocruisers.com and possibly join them for a Wednesday night bike ride this month. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silvaponte. This episode was put together by myself. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.